Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Give us a call on our late-night National Town Hall Forum. You're welcome to do that at 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. The Supreme Court has preserved access to medical abortions in terms of the pill uh, that's been upheld thus far, and... There's a few other things I want to get into. That was just a quick headline that, that I saw that I wanted to share. There's another headline about Joe Biden uh, in Newsweek magazine saying that he's going to be raising the cost of doing business for people that have good credit. And for those with riskier credit, it's going to become easier. So borrowers with high credit scores will be penalized under a new federal uh, a mortgage fee plan that the Biden administration is putting out. And by the way, I think I mentioned yesterday that BuzzFeed News, remember them? They promoted that story that Trump was, uh, I think, urinating on hookers in Moscow or something like that. It was a totally fake story. They pushed that Russian collusion and all so many other things. Uh, without ever having any proof. So they're going to be shutting down. There won't be any more BuzzFeed news soon. But um, there's a few things I want to talk about with this Biden thing because uh, mortgage borrowers with good credit might start facing higher costs under a new plan, uh, which is more like a scheme from the federal government. Uh, And this is according to Reason.com. It's also Newsweek.com. And this is um, what they're going to put together with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. They've all released a new Loan Level Price Adjustment, or LLPA, matrix for loans sold to them after May 1st, 2023. Under the new matrix, borrowers with high credit scores are going to face higher mortgage fees than before, and those with lower credit scores are going to face lower fees. Isn't that interesting? It's unprecedented. David Stevens, a former federal housing commissioner and former CEO of the Mortgage Bankers Association, told the New York Post, my email is full from mortgage companies and CEOs telling me how unbelievably shocked they are by this move. The fee increase is unlikely to lead to significantly higher monthly mortgage payments for most borrowers. uh, But for instance, someone with a $400,000 loan and a 6% mortgage rate might wind up paying about $40 more per month, according to Mr. Stevens' calculations. Now, 
this extra $40 a month means an extra 480 bucks a year. And over the whole course of the mortgage repayment, a homeowner could wind up paying thousands of dollars more due to the shift in fees. Now, regardless of what the shift means in terms of actual cost, it seems unfair that borrowers with extremely good credit are effectively being penalized, right? Because borrowers with lower credit scores are going to be rewarded under this plan. This, uh, here's a quote, this was a blatant significant cut of fees for the highest risk borrowers and a clear increase in much better credit quality buyers. And it seems unfair, right? And this is, uh, I think, the problem that we're facing overall in Washington. And they're saying overall, lower credit scores and buyers with lower credit scores will still pay more in LLPA fees than high credit buyers. But the latest changes will close the gap, according to the article in the Post. Under the new rules, high credit buyers with scores ranging from 680 to 780 will see a spike in their uh, mortgage costs while applicants who place 15 to 20 percent down payments are going to be experiencing uh, the biggest increase in fees. That's interesting. Uh, So the LLPAs are upfront fees based on factors such as a borrower's credit score and the size of their down payment. The fees are typically converted into percentage points that alter the buyer's mortgage rate. Under the new revised LLPA pricing structure, a home buyer with a 740 FICO score uh, and 15 to 20% down will face a 1% surcharge, which is an increase of uh, three quarters of a percentage point compared to the old fee, which was just a quarter of a percentage point. Now, buyers with credit scores of 679 or lower will have their fees slashed, resulting in more favorable mortgage rates. For example, a buyer with a 620 FICO score with a down payment of 5% or less gets a 1.75% fee discount, a decrease from the old fee rate of 35 for that bracket. Fascinating. And it goes on. The uh, effective penalty for having a credit score under 680 is now smaller than it used to be. It still costs more to have a lower credit score. For instance, if you have a credit score of 659 and you're borrowing uh, 75% of your home's value, you're going to pay a fee equal to 1.5% of the loan balance, whereas you'd pay no fee if you had a 780 credit score. But before these changes, you would have paid a whopping 2.7.5% fee on a hypothetical $300,000 loan. And that's the uh, the difference of thirty seven fifty, right? Three thousand seven hundred fifty dollars in closing costs. So ultimately, interesting to note that the Biden administration is making a play to attract people that are building their credit, people that are you know trying to establish themselves, and is I wouldn't say trying to alienate, but definitely not trying to to woo people that already have established credit. And I'm not against anybody trying to build their credit. I've been on both sides of that spectrum. But I can tell you that it doesn't seem smart to, uh, I don't know, go after the person that has uh, good credit, penalize them, and, and, you know, at the same time, reward somebody who doesn't or hasn't gotten there yet. So that's uh, an interesting uh, place to be. 
We'll talk about that and your opinions on that as well. But to me, this is more of the overall overarching problem that we have where Biden and the Democrats just constantly want to pander, right? They want to pander to, to whatever constituency they have. And I understand the, the desire to pander. I get it. You know, they want votes. They're, they're politicians. They want to gain your support. But ultimately, you have to differentiate right from wrong. And without, without really focusing on doing the right thing, it's easy to make a mistake like this. And to clearly, this isn't a mistake. This is what they wanted to do. It's intentional. They, they want to uh, blur the lines here. And instead of having you strive for, for what's better, what's more, the American dream, whatever and what have you, uh, they're willing to penalize those who've succeeded, just like they do with the tax code. So I think that's out of line and it shouldn't be happening, but it is and that's where we are. Now, we also have uh, some conversations tonight that are coming up with a lot of excellent guests. So definitely stick around, get comfortable, put your feet up. Uh, we're going to have a conversation about the new uh, film, Truth and Lies in American Education. This is the latest project led by the United States Parents Involved in Education, or USPIE. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy that. We're also going to have uh, some discussion around... Uh, another new documentary series where it focused on the title, There Is No Free Speech Crisis on Campus, The Trial of Amy Wax. We're going to talk about that as well, free speech on campuses. And then Sergeant uh, Betsy Brantner-Smith, she's a spokesperson for the National Police Association. She's going to join us to discuss what's going on in big cities and why are they having so much trouble finding police officers. So don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. I am Rich Valdez. This is America night with rich valdez america at night with rich valdez Welcome back, America. Rich Valdez. Our guest is the spokesperson for the film Truth and Lies in American Education. It's the latest project led by the United States Parents Involved in Education, USPIE. You can check them out at USPIE.org. She's also the author of They're Your Kids, actress, filmmaker, and homeschooling advocate Sam Sorbo. Welcome to the program. Hey, it's a great it's great to be here with you. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Now, we have a, a clip of the trailer of this film, and I want to play it so that everybody that's listening can can uh, check out the film, and then I'd like to talk about it. Listen to this. Public school is the instituted agency of socialism throughout every community. The U.S. government has no authority to have any role in education. We're going to lose our very republic if we don't stop this indoctrination of children in government schools. What happened to us in China can't happen here. Have one kind of education and then call it equity. It's about outcomes. It's about trying to force us all to be equal. I think we're going to have a race civil war in our hands. We are exposing kids to pornography as early as kindergarten. Parents just don't know. No, not anymore. Not anymore. Parents need to wake up. They don't have the interests of your child at heart. 
So this is the trailer that you just heard for the film Truth and Lies in American Education. And Sam Sorbo, tell us a little bit about why you feel, uh, I think this is an incredibly important project and it's important for parents' rights to be uh, front and center with so much of what's going on now. But what was, I guess, your impetus for, for getting involved? So the film actually follows April Few, who, whose mother-in-law started um, U.S. Pi or U.S. Parents Involved in Education. And and uh, Sherry was advising April not to put her grandchildren, April's kids, in school. And April was wondering why she seemed to be so vehement about that. So she decided to do some research. And the documentary follows her as she researches the, the, the story of our schools and where our schools are today. And, um, and I'm, I, they, they know me because I'm a homeschool advocate. I speak uh, around the country. I've written several books on home education. And I advocate to get children out of the schools because the schools are engaged in child abuse. I mean, we just heard the story uh, the other day of uh, up in Washington State, they pitted teachers against students in a, um, in a, in a competition licking marshmallow puff off of plexiglass um, Crazy. opposite each other. And uh, this other story down here in Florida, actually, of a teacher who was supervising in classroom fight club, um, inviting students to participate in fights and admonishing them not to take video videos of the fights or tell their parents that the fights were going on. This is not education. They are no longer engaged in education. If in fact, if we could even claim that they were now, I'm not, I don't denigrate teachers. There are, there are wonderful teachers that work inside the system, but the system itself is a perversion. And it's important now for parents to wake up because they've gone so far off the rails. They've gone so far off of the reservation, so to speak, with the, the abject pornography in the children's literature, the, and I shouldn't even call it literature, but in the books that they're giving children and in what they are training children, in the drag queen story time, in all of the things, so many things that are happening in our schools. And the parents have no clue. And, you know, I talk to parents and I, and I tell them that our schools aren't engaged in education Our schools are engaged in, there are three foundational lessons that they teach the children. Don't ask, don't try, and don't think. And the the reason that I say that is because the first thing a child learns when they go to school, now the child is intrinsically curious about everything. They ask questions all the time. But the first thing they learn to do in school is to sit down and shut up. Don't question. If you want to ask a question, you have to raise your hand. You need permission first. So don't ask. You sit there and you be quiet and you wait your turn and you learn to behave and you learn to conform, which is actually the opposite of what we want for our children. Don't we want our children to be unique and stand out and make a mark in the world? But instead, we send them into an institution for seven and a half hours every day that teaches them to conform, teaches them not to try because failure is bad. So don't try. Failure is very bad. Don't try. You see what I'm saying? Sure. And so, you know, we, we, have to, we have to rethink the way that we think about education because the way we think about education is the way we were trained by the so-called educators to think about education. And it's wrong. 
Education, for instance, is not the three R's. We talk about the three R's. What are the three R's? Reading, writing, and arithmetic. First of all, are they three R's? No, right. they're not, right? But we sort of laugh about it and we move on because the educators told us it's the three R's. So we don't question it because we were taught first day in school, we're taught not to question, right? We've accepted all of these messages by rote without questioning. And now we find ourselves in a big conundrum because we want education for our children. We were taught to seek education for our children. We were taught that school is where education happens. And that's a lie. And we don't know what to do with that. And so the first step is you should watch the film so that you're aware of just how deep and pernicious this lie is. And then you start doing the research. And what the wonderful, the wonderful thing that I can share with you is that the home learning journey, the home education journey is so remarkably better than anything that the school can possibly offer. So much better. It's, it's, it's first of all, it's easier than you ever dreamed and it's more rewarding than you ever imagined. And then w- once you embark on it and you go down the road a little bit, you realize, Oh my gosh, they were trying to rob me of this. They were trying to keep me from this by telling me how hard it is. You know, the, the messaging in the schools is well, teaching is so hard and, uh, and I'll grant Classroom management might be hard. That's a challenge. But, um, but teaching's not hard. Teaching is just exposing the child to information and watching them gobble it up. But you can't do that in a system that teaches the child to stop questioning. You see what I'm saying? 100%. Uh, let me remind everybody, Sam Sorbo is our guest. She's a spokesperson for the film Truth and Lies in American Education, which is uh, uh, the latest project from United States Parents Involved in Education, USPIE. USPIE.org is the website. And Sam Sorbo, I think this is a, a, a fascinating um, topic that you, bra- you, you broach in addition to the film which is this re-examination of education. Because I would have been a, and I wasn't a bad student at all by any means, but I would have been a stellar student uh, if, you know, not raising my hand and talking in class were, you know, the way of, of, of norm. Um, lamentably, it wasn't, and that's why I was always in trouble. But I, I think you're, you're on to something that I think we have an expectation of children that isn't necessarily... Uh, putting them in the driver's seat on the road to winning, uh, it's kind of more to conform to the educator, not uh, not the student. And there's a lot to be said for that, I think. Now, uh, if people want to uh, check out the film, do they go to USPIE or is there an additional website for the, for the film? Well, they can go to USPIE.org or they can just go to Truth and Lies in Education. Um, All right. uh, it has its own website as well, so... Perfect. Well, we'll discuss a little bit more on that as soon as we come back, folks. We're on with Sam Sorbo, spokesperson for the film Truth and Lies in American Education. We're coming back with her. And, of course, your calls, 833-482-5337. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez, and our guest, Sam Sorbo. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Welcome back. So quick headline here. Uh, Colorado school bus driver was charged with 30 counts of child abuse for slamming on his brakes. Uh, they're alleging that he did this intentionally to get kids to behave because they were acting up on the bus. Uh, meanwhile, we uh, talked about a fight club with a teacher in Florida. Well, was another teacher in Texas that was also running a fight club. And, of course, we talked about the um, licking of marshmallows off of plexiglass. It seems... Um, Teachers are just all over the place. Our guest is Sam Sorbo. She is a spokesperson for the film Truth and Lies in Education, and uh, that's a project from the United States Parents Involved in Education, USPIE, or check out their website, USPIE.org. Uh, Sam Sorbo, um, what, do you, what do you make of, of these, uh, th- these stories that keep coming out about educators uh, just going awry? Uh, to me, it's indicative of a system that just doesn't work. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I, I can't agree more. But more than that, what do you expect? We send children, and we've done this for decades now, into a system of quote-unquote education that completely ignores morality. And so now you have these children who went through this system for 13 years that completely ignores morality and denigrates the Bible, which is the source of our moral code, if you will. Mm -hmm. These people have now grown up. And now we're putting them in charge of children. Do you expect them to behave responsibly, morally, with virtue? I don't know why. What is it about our system of education that leads us to these ridiculous conclusions that somehow people should behave morally if they've, if they've received 13 years of indoctrination that lacks any moral code to it? And that's where we are today. I, I, I can't tell you. I, I, I'm horrified. But here's another thing that I'm horrified by. You know, when, when you're a new parent, and I want to speak specifically to young parents out there or new parents, right? When you're a new parent, you interview the babysitter. You might talk to her for 15 minutes, 30 minutes. She comes with references. You know exactly who she is. But you take your child to school on the first day of school, and you hand your precious baby over to a complete stranger. What are you thinking? I'll tell you what. <laughs> you're not thinking because you've been trained. You haven't been educated. You've been schooled your whole life. You've been trained to behave a certain way, to make assumptions that have no grounding in reason. And I'm trying to get people to wake up because it's a travesty what we're doing to the young people of this nation with the transgender uh, uh, agenda and the CRT agenda. These are all very damaging things that are in our schools 
that they are enacting on our children. And you know what I love? I love when parents say to me, but not my school. My, my kid goes to a really wonderful public school or my kid goes to a really wonderful whatever school. Okay. And I say, oh, that's awesome. What makes it wonderful? Well, you know, it's where we went to school. In fact, I met my husband in that school. Okay. So you're telling me that the thing that makes the school great, the thing that makes the education great is that your child's locker is three lockers down from your old locker? <laughs> what are you thinking? Well, it's, it's a struggle to think when you went to a system that taught you not to think. And that is the culmination of our education system today. It is a system that is dedicated to training children to stop thinking. And that's where we are today. And so if that's it's the sad. future that you want for your children send them to school. But if you want your children to be thinking creative individuals with a moral compass, don't send them into an institution. Now, Sam Sorbo, how do you achieve this? Uh, I guess through the work of USPIE and grassroots, but uh, what does that look like from your perspective? Uh, what exactly are you asking what looks like? Reaching parents with uh, this, this message that you have, uh, which is clearly uh, oh, yeah. unconventional, but I, it, I think it's a message that needs to be heard. How are you reaching people? <laughs> it's unconventional. Well, define convention these days, right? Nobody right. wants Yeah, men and women's sports. That's the latest convention. The door. Exactly. So, um, you know, U.S. Pie is is working diligently to wake parents up to the to the dramatic shift that we've witnessed now in our in our schools. And unfortunately, you know, we, we are a little bit late to the game now when we're waking up to this, right? I mean, I've been banging this drum for over two decades, but, um, but you know, it's not too late for your kid. So the thing that we, the, the, the struggle that we all have is that we're afraid of education because we've been taught in our schools to fear education. Our teachers taught us, kids, don't try this at home you don't have a teaching degree. You can't educate a child. Never, right. ne, none, never mind the fact that you taught your child to tie his shoes. You taught him how to feed himself. You taught him how to get dressed in the morning. You taught him how to brush his teeth. But somehow when he turns five, you're no longer capable of teaching him. You see what I'm saying? The whole system is rigged against you on a personal level. And so, you know, what we're trying to do at U.S. Pie and what I try to do on my website samsorbo.com is educate parents so that they are better equipped and so that they feel more comfortable handling the education of their children. And I will tell you, it is just not as challenging as the, as, as the, um, the, what, what do we call it? The, the tyranny, the, the tyrannical schools would like you to believe. They want you to believe that you can't. That's why you feel so incapable. You've been trained to think that you're incapable. That's why parents say to me, oh, I could never. Do you know I have parents saying to me I could never homeschool my kids? I would kill them by Wednesday. And I look at them <laughs> and I say, really, how would you go about killing your children? And right, then they take a them step back, like, wow. I, I, well, I, never thought know, about I, it. I just, heard a, a, I just heard a story of, a, well, they were joking, right? But seriously, you right. talk that way about your children? Shame on you. I was talking to, to uh, or I, I heard a story about a guy who was um, at the at the graduation ceremony for the this this wonderful private school, 
and they were touting all of their academic achievements and how all of their kids, you know, when they graduated, they went to this, that, this, that, and, you know, Ivy League this and, and all of the academics, right? Right. And the man stood up in the back at the end of the presentation. It was a fabulous presentation, very impressive. And he said to the, to the, the um, headmaster, what kind of student, what kind of person are you trying to create here? What kind of person are you trying to develop? And the headmaster said, well, I've never been asked that before. Well, no, because our entire system focuses on academics. But, you know, academics is only part of being a human being. Right. And if right. you're training academics approach. without training, right, if you're training academics with, with a complete disregard for morality, you're just making more intelligent criminals. Is that what you want for your children? Do you want the best bully on the field? Because they teach bullying in our schools. They teach nothing but survival of the fittest. That's evolution. And if that's the law of the land, then there are little lessons about don't bully are ridiculous. It's a, con- it's a contradiction in terms because at the same time that they're telling the kids, hey, stop bullying. And by the way, apparently that's off the table now because of all the fight clubs that I'm hearing about that are happening in our schools. So if, if you know, they try to say that bullying's off the table, but at the same time, they're actually training the kids survival of the fittest. And survival of the fittest is just bullying when it gets boiled down. You know, all you have to do is take a moment, pull apart the pieces and examine them, and it, it comes together very nicely. And it's a very, very ugly picture that we have in our schools today. I mean, I'm urging, I'm urging teachers get out of the system. You're part of the problem now. So withdraw. And you know what? Good teachers, good Christian teachers, I, I encourage them, hang out a shingle, home educate other people's children. You'll be blessed by it. Outstanding. Uh, I think, um, I I thank you for the passion because I think, you know, these conversations are always presented as a choice, as an additional option. I think your, um, your presentation of this was not so much more that there's another option. This is the only option, right? (laughs) If you choose the other option, it's the road to perdition. And, and, and I I agree with you quite frankly. It's, it's the only option and it's the best option. There's no comparison. There's no comparison to the relationship that you will get with your children. If you keep them home, there's no comparison. You can't have that relationship any other way. You know, that's another that's another lie in the system is that somehow you're gaining when you drop your kids off at the school. Somehow the school is taking something uh, is, is, is giving you something when you drop your child off. No, no. You're time for Starbucks, time child. for the gym. That's yeah. how it's painted. You're, you're sacrificing. You're sacrificing. Right. But you're sacrificing your child and you're sacrificing the greatest relationship in your lifetime. Because yeah. your relationship you know, was, with your child can I used be to listen the greatest to, relationship in your lifetime. I, I, you're right. And I used to listen to a, um, a great talk radio host, Dr. Laura Schlesinger, and she used to say, uh, daycare? No. Uh, date orphanage. And uh, when she used that terminology, I think a lot of people thought it was harsh, but really casts a new light on it and uh, makes you think, hmm, is that what's happening here? Am I really abandoning my kids? Should I be uh, doing that or not? So I think sometimes nomenclature plays a big role. Sam Sorbo, um, everybody wants to find out more about the movie and the film. Where do they go? They just go to uspie.org, uh, uspie.org, uh, U.S. Parents Involved in Education. 
And um, and uh, they can also go to truthandliesineducation.com, I think is the website for the movie. And it's a great film. It'll open your eyes. And um, it's it's wonderful because you kind of live vicariously through the journey of the, the film's protagonist, April Few. And she does such a great job asking the questions and delving into the research that, that you should have at your fingertips. You should know yeah. what's going on in the schools and, and, you know, what's liable to happen to your child. And, I mean, if you think that your child's getting – see, the thing is you think – somehow you're going to get something from the school, but you're not getting, the child's not getting an education. They're getting damaged, our children in our schools today. And you can avoid that so easily. Yeah. Watch the movie, everybody. Truth and Lies in American Education. Sam Sorbo, I want to thank you for joining us. I hope to do this again and uh, get a little bit more of your perspective. Excellent conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. All right, folks, your calls and more is straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, 8334-VALDEZ. Let's go to the phones. Let's go to Jess. He's in uh, Lake of the Ozarks, K-R-M-S. Go right ahead, Jess. How are we doing tonight? Wonderful, thank you. Um, just to comment on your last guest, uh, she was very interesting, and uh, I agreed with about 99% of what she said. Um, uh, a lot of... Uh, what she was saying kind of goes back to something I've been thinking about a lot in the last two, three weeks. Uh, you know, about uh, one thing that, that that caught my attention was uh, the bus driver uh, that brake checked the kids. Yeah, and, uh, I, the I, I've done that to my kids a million times, Jess. Uh, exactly. And, um, you know, uh, those kids, uh, what, that's no worse than getting shoved down on a playground. They didn't get hurt. And uh, about the, the, the window licking with the marshmallows, hey, man, if they're going to act like window lickers, give them something to lick. It keeps them out of the aisle. It keeps them quiet. <laughs> you know? They're, yeah, and, listen, and, and, I haven't done the window licking, but I can tell you I've definitely break-checked my kids, and, and I can't believe, like I was saying, I mean, if, if he caused some damage and they got whiplash and it was he was trying to hurt them, but I could imagine a bus driver going, hey, cool it. Hey, listen, settle down. Hey, 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 <laughs> you know, and, and pumping those brakes a little bit. And Lord knows I've done it to my own children. So um, yeah, I heard that story and I said, man, that's, I think that's a little bit overboard, 30 counts of child abuse or child endangerment. I think it's a little heavy handed. So I think I agree with here's you. The thing. Here's the thing. We're so proud of being Gen Xers. And we should be. I mean, we really should be. However, yeah. the teachers that are teaching these things that are just abominable to our kids. They're not. Uh, what do you mean they're not? 
They're not Gen Xers. No, they're not. I know. But the administrators that are letting it happen, a lot of them are, man. Mm. So what do you suggest? Uh, I'm just saying that, yeah, well, we can, uh, we were bad, we're bad people. I mean, we're bad dudes, but some of them are bad people. So what do you think we do? Get get more people into public education, uh, try to hold them more accountable? What's your thought? Absolutely. Accountability is one thing. That's for sure. Um, and, uh, yeah, we need to, just like uh, we're, we're, we're saying, you know, we need to uh, take back public offices. We need to take back this and that. We need to take back our schools. 100%. A lot of us are educated. And if we have an interest in education, let's take it back and do it. I agree I with need you. a lot more kids around here mm-hmm. that are so much smarter than city kids that I know. It is ridiculous. Yeah, well, I, I think that that's probably a, a very fair statement, or at least uh, in, in different areas, right? I mean, I, I my, my family has a place out in the country in Pennsylvania, uh, 13-acre farm, and uh, the things you learn from some of the young people there, it's like, wow, these guys are so bright when it comes to X, Y, and Z. Uh, and then, you know, again, you, you, you meet some people in the inner city and they're like, man, the things you know about surviving in a war zone. <laughs> so, you know, I think everybody brings something unique to the table. And I think the, to me, the, the lesson here is that young people are very, very, very capable and they know a lot. And we probably just don't give them enough credit overall for how much they know and how much they can do. But Jess, I thank you for the call. Uh, from Lake of the Ozarks, Missouri. Big shout out to KRMS. Excellent conversation. I appreciate it. Uh, We're going to go to your calls and more straight ahead. First, a quick pause. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, let's go quickly to Kim in Shields, Michigan on KDKA. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Um, hey. I, I thought of something. Hi, I thought of something while I was on hold listening um, I called about the loan deal that Biden's starting, uh, but people can homeschool their kids. I've read up on it a lot, and uh, mm. the average homeschool parent uh, spends an hour and a half a day uh, after dinner doing their homeschooling of their children. Um, and the average homeschool family, both parents work. It doesn't have to be a stay-at-home parent. But anyways, the thing I called about is um, with Biden starting this, it really irks me because I just got a new car after 14 years. And wow. um, yeah, I, I get new cars and then I keep the last two I've had Hondas. I had 14 years. This one's a Mazda, but I keep them a long time and, and I have good credit. I had 771 when I got my loan and uh, I pay my bills. I had a few student loans 
I paid them off. I'm on my second house. I've paid them off. I've never filed for bankruptcy. And this irritates me with Biden buying votes. It's the same thing that Obama was going to do. When yep. he was and it's also, Biden. Kim, it's just like the student loan crisis that we have that he kind of invented. Right. We had a crisis, if you want to call it that. But forgiving the debt was another um scheme for votes. Anyway, Kim, sorry to cut you off. The music means they're kicking us both out. Andy in Pittsburgh on KDKA. Thanks for the call. I'm going to try and get to you momentarily, but we're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night. More to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? It is Friday night. We're live. We're national. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And there's a new bill that Democrats are proposing that would prohibit illegal aliens who are identifying as LGBTQ or that don't speak English from being detained. We'll get into that a little bit later at the top of the hour, uh, in next hour. And uh, a couple of other things here. There is now uh, a new government agency, the Office of Environmental Justice. Now, you know, my position on justice is that justice is blind and it doesn't require any modifiers. So if you have to add something in front of the word justice, then that's just dumb, in my opinion. Now, uh, Biden also says he's going to be visiting East Palestine at some point uh, since promising to do that 50 days ago. (laughs) That's crazy. And um, the um, folks on late night television have lost 41 percent of ad revenues in the last five years. I would hate to lie to you and say that I feel bad for them. I don't. Um, Late night TV is the enemy of late night radio. So, uh, hey, sorry it's not working out for you guys. We're actually doing okay in the revenue department. Thank God. We've got excellent listeners and excellent sponsors. But I want to continue with our program here. I want to talk about this uh, topic of talking, right? Free speech. And there is a new um, documentary series called There Is No Free Speech crisis, quote unquote, on campus. And it talks about the trial of Amy Wax. And that's built into the title. And I want to uh, bring on the co-founder and CEO of Good Kid Productions, who's put this together, Rob Muntz. Rob, welcome to the program, sir. Rich, thank you so much for having me. You bet. So let's talk a little bit about this. I know that, you know, some who may have heard of Amy Wax, uh, you know, may have different opinions of her with respect to some of the things that she was using her free speech for. Uh, Some are saying she was, um, um, had racial commentary, this, that, and the other. And I'm I'm wondering what is the angle that you've put the documentary together 
on? What's Again, the angle? Yeah, anybody um, can watch this just by going to our YouTube channel, Good Kid Productions, on YouTube, and they can check us out at goodkidproductions.com as well to see this and a bunch of other stuff. Good. I mean, just to give a plug for our company, basically, it's interesting you mentioned that collapse of revenue for late night television, yeah. right? There's, we're, we're living through these tectonic changes in the media landscape. And the essential like proposition of our company is we're trying to seize upon those changes to build something better and new that can be a counterbalance to some of the uh, propagandistic mainstream media news mm-hmm. uh, institutions. And so what we do is we basically make these documentaries that are like a Hollywood quality production in terms of the, the editing and the sound and the animation and the music. It's as good as anything you'll see on Netflix but we deal with ideas and we tackle topics that would never be touched by the establishment, like kind of, you know, movie making, video making establishment in New York city and in in California. So that's what we do. So people can see a bunch of our stuff on the channel. The the title is the, I've been making documentaries about this particular topic of campus free speech for almost 10 years. And it's now gotten to the point where I do want to say to the conservative media that keeps calling it a crisis. To have a crisis, you need to have two warring parties, right? You need to have conflict. You need to have the protagonists and the antagonists. But what do you call something when there's no more antagonists anymore? It's not a crisis mm. anymore. There's no conflict anymore. Someone won. <laughs> you know, the slaughter. You know, yeah. yeah. So someone won. And I think that is unfortunately what the situation is, particularly on these elite campuses, which is what we, we focus a lot of our documentaries about. We've got one at, on the University of Pennsylvania, one about Princeton, and also one about Harvard that came out about a year ago about a uh, this genius kind of heterodox economist who got canceled under very suspicious circumstances, someone who mm. would routinely burst a lot of uh, Black Lives Matter <laughs> um, uh, dogmas. And so the... Uh, this doc is the first in a series. It's about Amy Wax. And the reason why her case is really worth knowing about is it represents new territory in the campus free speech wars, quote unquote. And that in the past, at least on campus, if you are vaguely right wing and you get fired, your bosses will at least come up with a like a political pretext. So they'll come up with like a another reason why, like you violated right. some other point of your employment agreement. Very, it's never happened that they fire someone explicitly and only because of their opinions. And in Amy's case, she's about to get fired, and it's obviously because she's just an unapologetic critic of you know all sorts of tenets in the woke worldview. And she'll just take on things like affirmative action or DEI or immigration. And hence, they label her a racist. And she just refuses to back down when there's another swirl of social media controversy. And I think that, I mean, the thing that's interesting, you, in, the, in the doc itself, we do very little of explicitly trying to defend or uh, uh, Amy's positions, not because we don't necessarily agree with them. We let Amy speak for herself. The point is that we let her make her points. And then you get to see that all of her critics, including the people that run this hyper-prestigious institution, don't even pretend to engage with the substance of what she has to say. That's something that's really remarkable. It's they only can denounce her. So she's criticizing affirmative action, and she's making specific claims about 
district, racial distribution in a law school class. No one even tries to disprove what she has to say. Right. They just throw names at her and then they threaten to get her fired and they, and they beg to get her exiled from campus. And again, it'd be one thing if this was just a bunch of, you know, um, 19 year olds who like read a little bit of Noam Chomsky and suddenly think they're freedom fighters and have that <laughs> level of, you know, that, that narcissism of their own grand place in the moral universe when they're 19. I mean, I suffer this. The problem is this, this <laughs> thing about name calling and just immediately threatening to fire someone is being perpetrated by the people that run this law school, right? And the yeah. University of Pennsylvania Law School is one of the five best law schools in the whole country. So the, uh, it's especially disheartening when this stuff is not just being propagated by undergraduates. It's being propagated by grown-ass adults who should know better. Right? Yeah, sad. Very sad. But this is truly... Um, the despotic nature of, in my opinion, uh, the fringe part of, of the left. That's just how they roll. It's like, listen, I say this, well, I disagree, and here's why. I don't want to hear your argument. I'm going to cancel you. You're shut down. That's literally been the trend for the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years. There, there isn't any debate anymore. So it's kind of like I'm looking at the title of the doc. It says there is no free speech, quote unquote, crisis on campus. It should just be there is no free speech on campus. Because <laughs> like you said, this is a battle that was lost, lamentably. Uh, how do we, um, how do we uh, fix it? How do we, do we fix it? Yeah, and again, the people you're talking about are like, you know, maybe 7% of the general population. They're not really right, not the majority. hard hyper-woke warriors, but they now represent like 70 to 80% of the people that are tenured faculty members on campus, <laughs> right? And they, as Amy says in our documentary, they they run the place. They really do run the place. And I think it does matter that if the place where every generation of cognitive elite is being trained is dominated by this far-left contingent, I do think that there are bad consequences for the broader society. Because the people that go to University of Pennsylvania Law School grow up and become judges, they become prosecutors, they become defense yep. attorneys, they become litigators, and they have been soaked in this stuff, and they have not been exposed to alternative viewpoints, and they have been shown that the way to get ahead is just to cancel your enemies, right? And maybe you know, maybe someone who goes to University of Pennsylvania Law School isn't particularly, you know woke or ideological themselves, but they've learned the way to get get ahead if something's happening to a conservative like Amy is just to keep your head down. Don't say anything. Yeah. Don't ruffle any feathers. You don't want Makes to you just as complicit. You need to make partner at a law firm. Just be quiet and mouth the right slogans and you'll and you'll and you'll do fine. And that is really what's been happening with the elite for the last ten to fifteen years and it's had absolutely catastrophic consequences for the country. Rob Mines is co-founder and CEO of Good Kid Productions. Yeah, we're talking about his latest documentary series, There Is No Free Speech, quote-unquote, Crisis on Campus, The Trial of Amy Wax. We're continuing with him. Uh, and, of course, your calls are welcome, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez with our guest, Rob Montz, co-founder and CEO of Good Kid Productions. Check out their YouTube channel where you can uh, take a look at their current documentary. And I definitely recommend uh, you check it out because it's a look at free speech uh, on a college campus. And the title is, There Is No Free Speech, quote-unquote, Crisis on Campus, The Trial of Amy Wax. Rob Mont, uh, Montz, tell us why... Um, you know, you told us that you've been doing free speech work for quite a while, but uh, what about this particular case got you interested in doing a documentary on it? Yeah, I mean, but I, you know, I've been doing it for a long time, including I did an investigation into my own alma mater of Brown University, maybe would have been eight years or so ago, mm. right when things were beginning to turn. I mean, the, the university campuses had always been dominated by, <laughs> you know, the left. But it sure. got real nasty. It got real nasty around 2013, 2014. And I did an expose of, of Brown, which has generated um, many, many enthusiastic woke activists in its time. right? And yeah. back then, I knew people would dismiss the issue as saying, what's the big deal? These kids will grow out of it. These kids are like every 20 year old has thought that he had, had discovered some profound moral truth about the universe and was right about everything and maybe uh, engaged with like a little bit uh, excessively enthusiastic about you know, trying to criticize someone, but they'll go out of it, they'll grow up, and when they get to the real world, they'll all become like moderate Republicans, right? And I said at the time, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that they're training these kids. And that they're going to go into elite institutions that are extremely important in American life, and they're going to bend those institutions to their will, and that is exactly what's happened. Exactly Lord, what's it's, happened. Right? It's happening from the newsroom to the White House, and and tech companies, and mm -hmm. uh, all sorts of financial companies, consulting companies, where for some reason all the boomers are just bending over backwards to appeal to the DEI enthusiast 29-year-old who went to West. Why do you think they're so afraid of them? I'm not afraid of them. I, I don't know why it is they capitulate. I think there's this term that I've heard recently that I think explains a lot of the dysfunction and malfunction in American society. It's actually a Zen phrase. It's called idiot benevolence. And the mm -hmm. idea is that there's a point at which even true compassion or true empathy goes too far, where you get to the point where you think that real compassion and empathy means completely abandoning any ability to be judgmental. It means, it means pure affirmation, pure affirmation. And, mm -hmm. and the, the, the Zen idea is that that, can, that itself is a kind of cruelty. It's a kind of dictatorship of empathy. Because you're is it wrong for me to say that that sounds stupid? Yeah, yes, yeah. And and I think that that's just happened a lot where it's basically become verboten to be critical and that to be like a good, loving ally in any capacity means you just affirm. And I think a lot of the boomers think that what you have to do for like the, the millennial Gen Z crowd is you have to affirm them. That's the way that you that's the way that you're a good boss. That's the way that you're a good manager. I don't I don't really know why it's gotten so bad. I mean, there's been some pushback now. But particularly, yeah. I got to say, like, I'm not over the summer of 2020. I'm not over the summer of 2020 in terms of the propagandistic lies that were fed to the American people related to COVID lockdowns and Black Lives Matter 
by every mm-hmm. elite institution in this country. I like I'm scarred by it. Like I'm a little traumatized by it. I'm a little triggered by it still. And things are me not too. going to be the same for me now that I saw what they did in May, June, and July of 2020, when they're locking people down and they're fueling violent, vicious riots that incinerated many American city, cities. And that, honestly, I think I want to put too fine of a point on it and say, if people think that what happens on campuses doesn't matter, then they need to realize what happened in 2020 is a is is the downstream effect of what happens on college campuses that you train people in a certain way of thinking and then they go on to run the new york times or they go on to run google and then you get just the complete catastrophe of that summer and i mean i think a lot of normal people blue collar people are not over it they're still resentful about it because they had their livelihoods destroyed by these sure you know by comparative literature majors from princeton but <laughs> Uh, I think a lot of the elite wants to move on. You know, we did another documentary. Right. Uh, There's an awesome documentary, frankly, that we did that was about um, a very famous viral police shooting from 2020 that happened a week after George Floyd. This guy by the name of Jacob Blake in Kenosha. Oh, Wisconsin. yeah. And yeah. this, this doc we did, we, we, one of the interviews we got was Attorney General Bill Barr. And the first half of it is just point by point decimating the propagandistic lies that came about. Uh, that that circled around Jacob Blake's shooting, and I'm only putting this saying this: those lies were propagated by the people that are trained in these elite college campuses, and who bore the cost of their lies? It's not any of the comparative literature majors who went to Vassar that right. live in Brooklyn. They didn't. The people that bore the cost were the people of the Kenosha, who suffered 72 hours of violent, fiery riots that primarily yeah, burned war down. The historic black business district district of Kenosha. We went back to Kenosha just a couple months ago, and there's huge swaths of the city that are still burned out husks because of what happened in 2020. It's not old news for them. It's not old news for them. And that what happened right. there is because of the lies that were fed to the American people by these elite institutions that were trained in exactly the Ivy League schools that you and I are talking about for these free speech issues. If there is a there's a direct line, there's a direct connection there. So that's why it matters. That's really why Absolutely. it matters. That's so well put. I, I definitely could not have said that any better. Rob Montz is co-founder and CEO of Good Kid Productions. Uh, latest documentary series is There Is No Free Speech, quote-unquote, Crisis on Campus, The Trial of Amy Wax. Rob, is there a, a social media handle or a website you could refer people to so they could follow the work you're doing? Yeah, they can check me out on Twitter, uh, at, just at Rob Montz, M-O-N-T-Z. You can check me out on Instagram, but that's mostly me just like chopping firewood with my sons. It's not a lot of uh, <laughs> hot, hot partisan content to be found there. And again, to watch the this free speech series and the other stuff we've talked about, they can just go to Good Kid Productions on YouTube or goodkidproductions.com, which has got, got all that information. Outstanding. Well, I want to thank you for being here and breaking it down. It was really eloquent and really, really well put. I hope you'll come back again soon. Thank you for having me. You bet. Folks, we're going to continue our conversations. Uh, He talked about the fiery summers of 2020. And since then, we've had a decline in police officers. We're going to find out why and what's going on with that straight ahead. Don't go anywhere.
Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, I want to talk about a story that's in the Washington Post. It's uh, citing a couple of facts here. Listen to this. The size of the D.C. police force has shrunk to a half-century low as officers are leaving faster than they can be replaced, according to the agency's chief, forcing the department to spend millions of dollars on overtime while it struggles to combat the violence and the shootings and the carjackings that are going on. No bueno. Well, to get to the bottom of what's going on uh, with these police shortages since the summer of love, and of course, it's common sense, right? You treat police officers like crap, you defund the police, you chant to defund the police. Eventually, police are going to say, you know what, I'm not going to stick around and endure more of this abuse. But then you couple that with these pro-crime, progressive prosecutors that coddle criminals and allow them to do whatever they want with a no-cash bail system and downgrading charges and not prosecuting anybody, and voila, you've got people that are emboldened to continue doing this stuff. So our conversation is going to be with Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith. She's a spokesperson for the National Police Association. Sergeant Smith, welcome. Hey, it's so great to be with you again. Yes, thank you. Welcome back. Um, now, I know it's kind of preaching to the choir. We, we, we obviously understand why cops are jumping ship, but what do we do and how serious is the problem? Well, it's, it's very serious, and we've been talking about this now really for a couple of years, but especially in the last year, you know, we've got the D.C. police force is very shorthanded. San Francisco is having huge issues um, in Austin, Texas, state troopers are having having to uh, come to Austin and fill in on patrols. The San Diego Police Department is shorthanded. Uh, of course, NYPD is, is slated to be about 4,000 police officers short. Chicago PD, they're working 12-hour shifts, getting their days off canceled. And here where I now live in Tucson, Arizona, the Tucson Police has the same staffing that they did when my husband was a rookie cop there in the 1970s. So this really is a crisis all around the nation. Sarge, so, I mean, this is scary to me. I'm thinking, you know, when, when you don't have cops, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a New Yorker. I'm in Jersey now, but I grew up watching New York City be cleaned up by Rudy Giuliani. And I, it was very normal to go to the city. I remember being a kid, and we'd go to the city, and there was crime everywhere. My mother would clutch me close to her. We were on the subway. And then I remember going, you know, f for leisure. We would go into, like, Times Square from Brooklyn. And and it was a nice place. And, and there was it was cleaned up, and there were, you know, tons of things to do. And, and that remained that way for a very long time up until recently where, you know, there was a toddler shot in Times Square and there's all sorts of crime that's going on. And, and you look at that and you think we're going in the wrong direction again. And I, this is a lesson I thought we'd learned. And when you talk about losing 4,000 cops in New York and, uh, you know, hundreds and thousands of others in different uh, jurisdictions, uh, I can't help but think we're, we're trending downward and we're headed in the wrong direction. How do we fix it? Well, we know how to fix this. And you alluded to that in the beginning is we need to go back and do what we did in the nineties. But first we have got to recognize 
um, that for the last three years, this bizarre social experiment that we've been in, this reduction of cops, um, reduction of arrests, deprosecution, no bail requirements whatsoever, and of course the de-incarceration of actual criminals has failed in America. So, you know, first and foremost, with any problem that you have, first you have to admit there's a problem. There's a problem, and the, everyone in America needs to admit it. And then we have, we, the citizens, have got to pressure our political leadership, our law enforcement leadership, um, and then we've got to go into the schools and into our churches, and we've got to get people to understand that they need to support American law enforcement, lift up the police officers, bring the respect of our police officers back to citizens of all ages, especially to the youth, and then say, okay, cops, you know, whether you're in a tiny town or you're in a big city like New York or Chicago, what do you need us to do to help you fix this problem? And we can do it. America has done this before. We just need to be allowed to do it. Well, we're going to continue this conversation straight ahead with your calls and more with Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith, spokesperson for the National Police Association. Again, plus your calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. In San Francisco, the surge in crime over the past couple of years has been accompanied by a severe staffing shortage in the police department. Huh, who would have thought? And uh, where the police force is now short roughly 800 officers heading into 2023. So here we are halfway through the year, and we see day in and day out what's happening in uh, San Francisco, all over California. You see these tent cities in Los Angeles. If you go uh, a little bit further up, it, this is very, very, very bad in my opinion. Uh, let us um, weigh in here with uh, Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith from the National Police Association. Uh, again, same thing, different area. It seems like we're making the same mistake over and over, but yet nobody's saying we're insane. Well, and you're absolutely right. And look what we just saw in L.A., you know, in the Compton area. And look what we saw in Chicago last weekend, these street takeovers, teen takeovers. Um, and in these types of situations where, for example, in Chicago, we saw, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young people um, attacking tourists and jumping on buses and carjacking cars. And, of course, we had uh, several people shot. And the Chicago Police Department was absolutely overwhelmed by these numbers, and they were were not able to respond properly. And that's, A, because they are very shorthanded, and B, the political leadership in cities like Chicago, and of course this is in New York and L.A. and all around Portland and Seattle and Austin, um, they're not allowed to do their jobs. And, you know, we... 
we keep saying that we're hopeful that the American public is getting tired of this. They're getting tired of the violent crime. They're getting tired of the homicide rates. They're getting tired of stores closing in their area. You know, Walmart just closed is closing four stores in Chicago because they can no longer deal with the crime in the very areas that they promise to be um, inclusive. Um, these high crime areas, um, America has got to decide if they're tired of it or not. We know we're tired of it, American law enforcement. We just want to be able to protect our public. But the public's got to decide they want us to protect them. They've got to reject this false notion that American law enforcement is somehow a bunch of racist thugs. And let's go back to the 90s, like you talked about, and clean these cities up. I'm going to say something that might get me in trouble, but I really want your take on it because as as honest as you can be without getting anybody into trouble. But I feel like when I was a kid, my brothers were on the job NYPD. Um, I volunteered and did a short version of the police academy in Jersey for a reserve unit here. I, I believe that cops will nine times out of 10, even 10 times out of 10, honestly, do the right thing. And the right thing has become harder and harder to do because of the amount of cameras, rules, people, protests, you name it. Now, I'm not saying there isn't a right for those things and there isn't a, a need for accountability, but, you know, um, they made reference years, many, many years ago, the wooden shampoo in New York. And it, it just life was simpler then. And when People knew, I'm not messing with the cops. Now, the whole I'm not messing with the cops thing is out the window. It's like, no, I'm messing with the cops because I literally can get away with it. And I feel like if that stays that way, I don't know that we come back from this. Am I wrong here, Sarge? No, you're you're not wrong at all. And there there are some who believe that the progressive left wants to cause that exact attitude that you're talking about to create continued chaos in our streets. Again, I go back to Chicago, you know, social order is breaking down in my native Chicago. And that's because the, the progressive left leadership in the city of Chicago has spent so much time and energy discrediting legitimate police authority. And they're saying the police are racist. They're saying you don't have to listen to the police and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So no, you're not wrong. But again, you know, the United States of America, you know, we're a very, everybody forgets we're a very young country and we're this amazing experiment that our U.S. Constitution is basically a gentleman's agreement. You and I read the Constitution. We make laws that adhere to that Constitution. And then you and I agree to follow those laws with no coercion other than the threat of punishment. Well, that threat of punishment is going out the window. So if you're not going to be punished, why wouldn't you commit a crime? Why wouldn't you steal somebody else's car? Why would you work when you can just go in and steal food? Why would you obey gun laws when nothing is going to happen to you when you commit an armed robbery? So, no, you're not wrong at all. I'll tell you, my dad told me, if you ever get in trouble with the cops, do not call me. 
And I understood <laughs> what he meant. I, I, I would, I would take 10 beatings from a cop rather than take the beating from my dad. Right. I mean, it was, I just, I couldn't do it. And it was, it was, you had to avoid this at all costs, but it seems like this fear of your parents has been erased. Um, this fear of, of, of the cops is, is gone. And, and people say, why should you be afraid of the cops? Why shouldn't you? Is my thinking, I'm thinking, you know, if you know you're doing something wrong, that's what you do, right? You hide from the cops cause they're going to get you. You know, I mean, the worst things I probably did as a kid uh, was running around with eggs on, you know, mischief night or whatever. But I, if I saw the cops, trust me, this little chubby kid was hiding behind the first car I could find to make sure that they weren't going to come up to me and give me a pat down and break every egg that I had hidden in my hoodie. And, and, and it was a very healthy thing for me, I think, to, to realize those guys stood for what was right and I stood for what was wrong to throw these eggs at cars. And, and I just think, man, we've gone so far awry from right and wrong and, and good and bad that it, it, it's like bizarro land and I don't, I don't feel it getting any better. And uh, it's concerning to me. It really, really is, Sarge. Well, every American should be concerned about it. And and you're absolutely right. Obviously, your dad knew my dad because I heard the same talk. <laughs> and, right. and and uh, but here's the thing. I'm going to guess you also had respect for your teacher and for your priest and for your God next door neighbor and the old lady that worked at the Exactly. Oh my God. My mother was a teacher and you know, I was so scared to death when I got in trouble at school because I knew I was going to get in trouble again when I got home. So I tried to, you know, toe the line, but you're absolutely right. We have, we have, uh, fallen into a society that rather than have respect for authority, uh, what we have is my feelings matter above anybody else. And it's all about me and my feelings and your feelings and your property and your rights don't matter. It's all about me, me, me. And you know how you deal with that? You follow the law. You employ the American justice system, the best system on this earth, I believe. And you punish people for committing crimes and then other people who are thinking about committing crimes will see what happened to you and they won't do it. It'll take a few years, but I believe this situation is salvageable. And again, we go back to Rudy Giuliani and broken windows policing. And we saw, I mean, I want people to just think about what things were like when, and this had nothing to do with Donald Trump, but when Donald Trump came in to office. We had low crime. We had respect for authority. We had respect for law enforcement. Look how things went down so, so, so quickly. Sarge, stand by. We're going to take a quick pause. We're coming right back to some calls. And uh, I also want to get um, a couple of words from you on everything you're doing at the NPA. So, folks, stick around. We're on with Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith. Your calls and more, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
Let's hit the phones. Chuck is in Rochester, Minnesota, K-R-O-C. Chuck, welcome. You're on with Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith from the National Police Association and me, Rich Valdez. Go right ahead, Chuck. Hey, I would love to know why all the cops in these big cities where they're just being demonized don't in mass just get up and leave. Yeah, well, it seems like that's exactly what's happening. I mean, we're, we're down 4,000 cops for NYPD. Uh, I know that it's uh, similar in other areas. Sergeant Smith, why don't you weigh in on that? Well, and Chuck, I really appreciate that question because here's the thing. Even when things get so bad, I mean, you know, Chuck, you live in Minnesota, so you've seen what's happened in the Minneapolis Police Department and the surrounding areas. But you know what? When we become police officers... We, we're not doing it for the money. We're not doing it for the recognition. We do it because we have a sense of mission, a sense of service. We want to protect our communities. So I just had a conversation with a Minneapolis police officer a few days ago who, as bad as things are, he is still doing everything he can to help improve his agency, to help co- uh, co- keep his community safe, because we love what we do And there's a practical side to it. This is how we pay our mortgages, right? A lot of us have money invested in our pensions because when you're a cop, you get to a certain point in your career and you really can't leave. But what's happening is a lot of police officers, and Minneapolis is one of them, you know, they're going to more police-friendly areas of the country or police, more police-friendly areas even of their state, more rural areas. And that's going to be a big problem for uh, the cities. Thank you, Chuck. I appreciate it. Now, Sergeant uh, Betsy Brantner-Smith, we only have about a minute and a half to go, but I I didn't want uh, to end our time together without you telling everybody about the work that you're doing at the National Police Association and part of your mission. Well, I got to tell you, the National Police Association is an incredible organization. It's not an association that you can join, but you can absolutely support us by going to nationalpolice.org. And we bring attention to the anti-police efforts that are challenging effective law enforcement around this country. We're, I'm on national television and radio all the time. We have public service announcements, uh, announcements. We do legal filings on behalf of police officers and their agencies and some citizens, and we publish books. We have Go to our website, nationalpolice.org. We have incredible authors. We have different articles all the time. And take a look at our wall of shame where you can find mm. out about diff, different woke judges and, and, and people who are uh, negatively impacting the criminal justice system. And you can follow us on Facebook. And uh, we have a great Twitter presence. It's, it's at NAT, N-A-T, Police Associ, A-S-S-O-C. But go to our website, nationalpolice.org, and support us because it's a, an amazing organization. I uh, I second that notion. Check out the website, nationalpolice.org. Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith, as always, enlightening and uh, excellent conversation. I appreciate the work you're doing. Keep it up. Godspeed to you, and thanks for being here. Great to talk to you, Rich. You bet. All right, folks, uh, we continue our support of the Boys in Blue and, of course, taking, and girls, uh, 
taking your calls, right? It's Open Phone America coming up straight ahead. You get to sound off. It's the Friday edition, so that means, you know, anything goes. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Open Phone America starts right now. Don't move a muscle. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. It's the third hour of the program, the Friday night program, and it's really Saturday morning by now. So happy Saturday. The weekend is here. We're kicking it off with you guys for Open Phone America, open phones across the USA. The uh, late night tradition started by Larry King back in 1978. That was the year I was born, by the way, and maintained and carried on by the late, great Jim Bohannon. And uh, we will honor that tradition of open phones in the third hour here as well on America at Night with me. So I'm looking forward to speaking with you guys. I see there's already calls coming in from all over the place, and I'm happy to see that. Uh, Of course, I do have to share a few things with you before we start hitting the phones, because it wouldn't be the third hour if I didn't talk about some of the crazy stuff that's going on. Let's see. I just said, oh, I want to talk about this. Well, I'll mention this one. Governor Gavin Newsom is calling in the National Guard to help fight fentanyl. Now, I don't know exactly what he's going to do to fight fentanyl with the National Guard. Uh, Maybe put them at the border and uh, prevent the stuff from coming into the country. That might be a great place to start. Um, Maybe putting pressure on on, um, you know, his his uh, colleagues in in government and saying, hey, look, you know, why don't you help us out? We're we're dying over here. Kind of like Greg Abbott does kind of like every other um, border state governor should be doing, saying, look, we're in really bad shape. But Newsom made a surprise visit Wednesday when he toured the city's uh, drug-plagued Tenderloin neighborhood on Friday and announced an agreement with the California National Guard, the California Highway Patrol, San Francisco Police Department, and the district attorney's office to uh, put this together to work on the fentanyl crisis. He says they're poison peddlers, and listen, I think that's a good term. Uh, But these aren't peddlers, per se. These are his friends in the cartel. And why do I say his friends? Because he's the one that made California a sanctuary state. Pendejo. Anyway, uh, this is the problem with these people. They're too little too late, right? They're they're always a a day late and a dollar short. That can't be the way it works. You've got to nip this stuff in the bud. Anyway, that's uh, Gavin Newsom. But the story I want to get to that I want your thoughts on as well is is the... uh, the thought that artificial intelligence is taking the jobs of Kenyans who write essays for U.S. college students. So, yes, U.S. college students say, oh, my gosh, I, want, I need a paper written for me. I'm not going to write it myself. I'm going to hire a Kenyan ghostwriter, and 
I'm going to do well on my paper. And everybody wins, right? The guy in Kenya makes some money. The student gets a decent paper because the guy in Kenya is very smart. And voila, no problem. Enter AI, artificial intelligence, chat GPT, uh, is now uh, coinciding with a drop in their income because people are going to chat GPT saying, hey, give me a paper on X, Y, and Z. And they don't have to pay their Kenyan ghostwriter anymore. So lo and behold, these hardworking uh, men and women in Kenya are paying the price of this. Kenya is a major hub for the contract cheating industry where freelancers help American students write essays and handle some of their classwork. Now, this proliferation of uh, artificial intelligence tools like ChatGPT is reducing the earnings of these said Kenyans that are involved in contract cheating. For the past nine years, Collins, he's a 27-year-old freelance writer. He's been making money by writing assignments for students in the United States. So far, um, he's um, written a bunch of these papers, and he's part of what they call the contract cheating industry, known locally as the academic writing industry. Isn't that nice? And Collins writes uh, college essays on topics including psychology, sociology, economics. Occasionally, he's granted direct access to college portals, allowing him to submit tests and assignments, participate in group discussions, and talk to professors using the students' identities. In 2022, he made uh, anywhere between $900 and $1,200 a month from doing this kind of work. Lately, however, his earnings have dropped down to like $500 to $800 bucks a month because his links, uh, and he links this, this uh, meteorotic rise of chat GPT. Yep. He says AI is to blame and other uh, generative artificial intelligence tools. Uh, with a quote saying, last year I was getting an average of 50 to 70 assignments, including discussions which are shorter, uh, around 150 words each, and don't require much research, Collins told um, the uh, publication we're looking at. Then he says... Right now, on average, I get around 30 to 40-something assignments. He requested to be identified only by his first name to avoid jeopardizing his accounts on platforms where he finds clients. So that's what's going on with contract cheating coming out of Kenya. And um, ChatGPT is ruining it for them. I'd love to know your thoughts on this and more. Let us hit the phones. Uh, let me go to that screen. No, Here we go. Well, we got Let's see. Hannibal, Missouri, we've got Manila, the Philippines, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Evergreen, Montana. I, I love it. Straight across the country and around the world. Uh, let's start with who's been holding the longest. Bob in Hannibal, Missouri, WTAD. Go right ahead. Hi, uh, Rich. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. The, uh, Welcome. National militia, thank you. The National Militia, thank, thank you. And uh, the National Militia, I think, is the the end game in causing all the chaos in the cities. Tell me more. When you say national militia, are you talking about something that is government sponsored or something that people are going to organize in response to the government? It would be controlled by D.C. And ah, I think, so you, um, like, a, like a national police force or a, a national... Because uh, we already have a national... like the. FPS, the Federal Protective Service, that's a, a very armed, a highly armed and well-trained law enforcement um, agency that's operated by the feds. Yes, and it was brought up in one of Obama's speeches early on in his presidency. 
Oh, yeah, I remember that clip. He literally is giving a speech. It's fascinating. I don't know if he misspoke or what, but he says, we've got to have our own national police, folks. Yeah, I, I totally remember that. And he said, we shouldn't stop until we have our own national police. And, uh, and he, of course, he was, you know, um, downplaying or insulting local police departments. And, uh, yeah, I'm with you on this one, Bob. I don't know if it's a national militia per se, but I do think they want to have a federalized police the way they did in, in many of um, the countries that that uh, ended up, you know, falling into dictatorship. That was kind of how they did it. They had a federal police that all responded to the state and whoever the head of state was. And then they were able to control people by way of using these federal police. And the fact that we have multiple jurisdictions, uh, I think, hinders that in many ways because it's harder to have the same power structure when they're, it's so um, broken up by municipality and whatnot. But a very interesting point. So what do you think the end game is once they have this national police? I believe they, they would just have total control of running the country the way they want to. Right, with impunity. Yes. And what... What what is the um, do you think it's like to have people be subservient or it's just like forced um, like armed IRS agents like they've been thinking about and and have proposed in the past? Uh, what what angle do you think they take? That would have been certainly the IRS being armed would be certainly part of that. That would have been a part of it, yes, because they just have more control and that's seemed like control is a big thing. Yeah, listen, I, I don't doubt that in the least. Um, and, and, and that's my reservation for it. The reason I would push back on something like that is always because this is exactly how they did it in Cuba. <laughs> like if, if you look at Cuba, Venezuela, you look at these these uh, case studies, if you will, and you think, man, how do you take a, a really rich, beautiful country and turn it into something uh, of, of, you know, the dreams of, of despotism that, you know, Fidel Castro and and Maduro and, and the rest of these people um, have, uh, that's how you do it, right? You create this federal police, the, the long arm of the law, and then voila, you go for it. I think you're on to something, Bob. Let's see what happens. Uh, big shout out to everybody listening in Hannibal, Missouri, and as, of course, everybody on WTAD radio. Thank you, Bob. Uh, we're going to continue with your call straight ahead, but first, a quick pause. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. Now, in Belgium, there is a problem here because the Belgian authorities are going to destroy 2,000 cans of beer made by Miller, Miller High Life to be exact, 
Why? Because of their slogan. Listen to this. Beer and loathing on the on the champagne trail. U.S. beer importers had a brood awakening. Brood awakening. That's funny. After Belgian uh, customs officials destroyed a massive cache of Miller High Life beer over using the the catchphrase "champagne" on its packaging, agents reportedly seized two thousand three hundred fifty two cans of the American discount beer in February after it arrived in Antwerp. Uh, on en route to Germany, according to CBS News. Now, then they opened each can and dumped the offending suds out, uh, kind of like uh, old school prohibition. The Boston Tea Party esque destruction, <laughs> New York Post is great, was executed at the behest of the Comité Champagne, the, the committee designated to protect the French sparkling wine's distinction, and they were very unhappy with the brew's slogan, dubbing itself the champagne of beers. So they're destroying these cans, and uh, it just seemed like they wanted to keep up with all the Americans that are destroying cans of uh, Bud Light for their um, go-woke-go-broke transgressions. Anyway, that is what's going on in Belgium, and I want to get to your calls. Let us continue with Andy. Andy uh, called in earlier. He's on KDKA calling out of Pittsburgh. Andy, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi, how are you? Wonderful, thanks. Question, I, I didn't catch everything from the first guest about uh, homeschooling. I, I wasn't mm-hmm. uh, near a radio the whole time. How um, How are these, how is the curriculum regulated with these homeschooling situations? Who who is looking in on what the kids are learning, if if anybody at all? Yeah. Well, uh, there's two parts to that question. So the first part is curriculums um, are mandated by the State Department of Education, I think, in every single state. So um, there's there's a mandate on the amount of days you go to school. There's a you know a classroom hours or whatever, uh, and there's also a mandate on what you have to learn and know. Now, when you are homeschooled, you don't necessarily have to participate in all of the um, uh, all of the state exams and whatnot. But a lot of homeschool kids do, and they typically outperform their their um, classroom schooled counterparts. And and I only know about that because I was on a school board for almost a decade, and um, I used to look at this stuff because I thought it was interesting, and I really wanted to homeschool my kids. Just didn't have. Uh, the wherewithal of the facility to really pull it off. But um, the curriculums can be found, the second part of your question, is you can find them in a lot of places. There's a big place called Bob Jones University that produces homeschool uh, stuff, but there's many other places. Uh, Hillsdale College also produces uh, homeschool curriculum and charter school curriculums, and uh, they're very active in, in the school choice movement. And, and then there's, um, there's groups that do this. So even though the term is homeschooled and it's, you know, every parent's right to do that, there are actually, you know, places where people will meet at the local church and several parents will get together and have school in the church. So they're not really homeschooled, but they're schooled in smaller groups uh, in, in church settings, you know, where there's a classroom and a table and multiple different teachers teaching different subjects. So um, that's that. And I can tell you just from based on my experience, I've never really met someone that was homeschooled where I was like, oh, man, they did this kid a disservice. I mean, they're typically always smart, usually smarter 
than most of the people that went to the district operated school. And, and that's because you get so much more one-on-one -on -one time. And if somebody doesn't get it, you just go right to the one-on-one -on -one and say, oh, what didn't you get? Let's do it again. Let's do it a third time. Let's do it a fifth time. And you get so much one-on-one -on -one attention when you're dealing with your parents or you know whoever is homeschooling you. So I think um, there's a lot of benefit to it. But yeah, ultimately, what I think a lot of them do is they do want to take the state test or the high school proficiency test or whatever regents exam they have in their state. And uh, they do that so that, you know, their homeschooling could be validated, just like the next person who went to the district operated school. So in a nutshell, that's kind of how the curriculum goes, because um, I, you know, I could see your your point in that. If nobody's regulating this, how do we know these kids are learning anything? And that may, it's a very solid point. Um, I just think the reality is I don't think anybody wants to lie, per se, about homeschooling. Uh, I'm sure there are people that do, but it's not a, a very prevalent problem from what I've seen, Andy. Is there data on college admissions? Um, I guess that would go by college um, there, there's a National Homeschool Association that I forget what they're called, and they might have some. But there are a number of schools. I can tell you, like my kid, she goes to Liberty University in Virginia. Um, they, they, there's a, a very high percentage of homeschoolers that end up going to a school like Liberty uh, because it works well for them. So I, I know that many of them do very, very well in terms of college and where they want to go as far as I can tell. But good good question and something maybe we could bring a guest on to talk about. Might be an interesting topic. I appreciate the call. Uh, let's continue. Let's go to my buddy Frank in Evergreen, Montana. Frank, go right ahead. Hi. I got a couple of things, but I'm going to first start out by saying <clears throat> this National Police Association is uh, recognized as a scam. And uh, don't donate if they call to your uh, even local police are saying the same thing it's not them calling for donations it's somebody else trying to get your uh, credit card oh yeah some scammers are pretending to be them to whatever yeah i i've never um gotten a call uh requesting money from the national police association if anything they usually call because they want to talk about something that they're doing to help um you know officers in the field and and promote the field of law enforcement overall uh, but yeah, I mean, that happens all the time. Matter of fact, uh, it would not be a good show of me, right? Uh, of one of my shows, if I didn't talk about the place I go to get my coffee every day. Nice Cuban guy who uh, makes my coffee. The other day I walk in and he's got a, uh, a sticker on his window there. And, uh, and he goes, yep, they got me. And I go, who got you? And he goes, well, the guy came in, he said he was at the, the state firefighters association and, and I told him, I, you know, I wasn't I didn't have any cash with me um, and because they wanted sixty dollars for an annual donation. And uh, the guy says, that's right. We take a credit card. He said, "Oh, I don't have a credit card. And he says, well, how much do you got? <laughs> and he's like, I don't know. I probably have like 20 bucks. He goes, All right. Give me the 20 bucks. I'll give you the sticker. And, and that's the deal that they cut from. So um, I can tell you that, yeah, there's people out there. I'm not saying that that's a scam, but um, they're very aggressive with their fundraising for sure. Anyway, thanks, Frank. Appreciate it. More to come straight ahead. Open Phone America, 833-4-VALDEZ. Give me a call. Three, 
Valdez with an S. So yesterday I mentioned this, but I didn't really dig in too much. There is a gold heist, and these thieves made off with $100 million in gold from Canada's largest airport. In uh, the Peel region, investigators are getting help from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police to investigate a gold heist at Toronto Pearson International Airport, where gold mined in Canada is often transported for shipment all over the world. Now, according to the Toronto Sun, Local organized crime gangs are suspected of stealing 3,600 pounds of gold worth 105 million bucks from uh, airline cargo earlier this week. Wow. Now, it was confirmed that um, the airport was briefly locked down for 18 minutes due to a security incident on Thursday. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police officers are still gathering information on the heist, and the Peel Region Police... Our regional, excuse me, police are expected to release further details uh, as they're available. So, wow, $100 million in gold was robbed from Canada's largest airport. This seems like a pretty well-coordinated thing. I doubt somebody said, oh, snap, look at that. I just tripped over a bar of gold. I wonder if there's more. Wow, there's $100 million worth. I doubt it was anything like that. These people knew where it was, how to get it, how to get it in, how to get it out. And um, and that is pretty fascinating. I'd love to know how that worked out one day. So that's the gold heist. Anyway, let's uh, get to your calls and see what's going on with that. Let's go to Gil in Manila, Philippines. Gil, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead, sir. Yeah, um, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, I'm calling because I, I know that uh, you'll find this amusing. Uh, we ha- recently had an assassination here, a... Uh, provincial governor in the southern part of the country, a place called Negros. And uh, there's, of course, they're trying to get to the bottom of it because with something like this, the guy who does the shooting is not the guy who is the uh, uh, the person who plans uh, the, uh, the crime. And um, there's a senator here who used to be the chief of the national police force and they have a national police force here, but it's, it's locally controlled. It basically, it sets the standards for people who they have to go to special police academies to get a, basically have to have a bachelor's degree in criminology to be a policeman. But, Mm. uh, I know what you said about national police, but if you look this guy up, his name is, um, uh, Ronald uh, De La Rosa, he goes by Bato. And he said in the uh, Senate hearing that he had a way to clean this thing up. Uh, he's got a, he's, he's, uh, looks like you, he's, uh, looks like a cue ball. And he says, <laughs> he, we go to the same barber. He's got to hire or make sure people who work on this case are only bald policemen because he knows then there'll be no corruption, that they'll be diligent in their work, because that's how bald guys are. And I thought that (laughs) you would like that. (laughs) So far it's true, but yeah, I do like that. It's, it's, uh, it's on YouTube. If you want to look it up and put it, you know, Oh yeah, I'll check it out. Search engine. And, uh, and secondly, um, uh, Budweiser, uh, Mm -hmm. Last month, I went to the local supermarket, and they had Budweiser beer 50% off, half price.
So I'm not much mm. of a beer drinker, but hey, I, I like bargains. So I bought a case. And it's not from St. Louis. It's not from Newark, which I think those are the two major breweries for Budweiser in the States. Yeah. It's, it's, it's brewed in, in uh, South Vietnam or Vietnam. It's no way. Vietnam. That's treason, is I it? didn't even know that was real. I didn't know they did that. Yeah, it's well. Actually, they used to make Budweiser beer in the Philippines, um, wow. and they made um, a Lone Star beer, the same brewery. Um, now, is that beer they're making in the Philippines for consumption in the Philippines, or are they making? Are they saying it's American beer and making it in the Philippines and shipping it elsewhere? Well, they'll ship it elsewhere here in Asia, I guess. But uh, well, it's. Basically, the brewery would buy the rights to use the uh, use the the, the the trademark material, and they have. I guess they have to have certain standards because it really doesn't taste very bad. It's pretty good, uh, uh, but uh, I well, when I first looked at it and saw that it was made in Vietnam, I said this this has got to be treason. Budweiser uh, <laughs> from Vietnam. Right, right. That's funny. I, I never, I never knew that such a thing could happen. Honestly, I'm so glad you told me about that. Because now I wanna, I wanna interview like the head of Bud, uh, Budweiser and find out what's going on here. What's the meaning of this? I mean, really, it's like finding out Heineken was made in the in Vietnam or something like that. You know, like what? Come on, that's a German beer. You expect it to be made in German, right? Or is it Holland? Uh, in Holland. Anyway, what do I know? I don't drink Heineken. Well, I, I don't drink much of anything anymore, but fifty uh, percent off, right? You got <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Dig in. It, it turned for out sure. it was about thirty-five, thirty-five cents a can. So, uh, how, how can you thirty-five pass cents US? Like yeah. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. Now, what do you think about artificial intelligence taking uh, the business away from the guys who were hired to cheat? by American students in Kenya. Um, what do you think about that? Well, they have people here that do that also for write papers yeah. and what have you. Well, now they're and, losing and work the because AI is replacing them. Well, I don't know if, if, if AI is going to replace these people. You're familiar with uh, uh, Michael Bloomberg, I'm sure. Yes, he was once mayor of New York City, and he made this thing called Bloomberg. Well, he has a um, a legal research um, company where lawyers can subscribe and they can get all of this legal research done for their yeah. cases and everything online. But where do you think the researchers for Michael Bloomberg are? They're <laughs> lawyers. They're lawyers here in the Philippines who have graduated from law school here in the Philippines, and. If you get a law degree here, you have a Juris Doctor requires four years of study, not three, and um, only generally only about eighteen percent of the law school graduates can pass the bar exam because they make it so hard. So uh, a lot of people, you know, Bloomberg has found that this is a very economical way to do to do the research, and I suppose now with AI. Those researchers are going to lose their jobs, too. Right. Yeah, fascinating to me. Well, Gil, I thank you for your insight on that. I didn't know about that. 
but always learn something with you. We've got Budweiser in Vietnam and uh, Philippine researchers working for Bloomberg. The things you learn. Gil, Godspeed to you, my friend. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. More on your calls straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Our telephone number is 833-4-VALDEZ. You get to sound off on anything you like. It's your turn to be heard on America's Late Night Town Hall Forum, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to John, Vero Beach, Florida, WTTB. John, go right ahead. Yes, good good evening, Mr. Valdez. Yes, sir. Good evening to you. Thank you. Likewise. Yes. uh, Thank you. Uh, On the subject of the national police, I don't want to you know, uh, belabor the subject. But anyway, the National Police Drive, I believe, was the whole defund the police movement or was or is a trial using the media to exaggerate uh, and, and give the impression that the police brutality was rampant, rampant. Oh, you know, all over the place. You know, if you listen to and watch the news under the guise of police brutality to create a vacuum or a read, need or a reason to create a national police force. You know, I, I'm not going to say you're off because you may entirely be right. Uh, I do believe that there was a concerted effort to definitely marginalize the police. Say, look, let's get these guys out of the mainstream. We don't want little kids going, I want to be a cop. We don't want people saying, look, I respect those guys in blue, women in blue. We're not doing that anymore, right? I think that there is a concerted effort to to poo-poo the profession, to to get people to turn against uh, members of law enforcement, to try to paint them as somehow bad, evil, nefarious in some way. And uh, I think all of it's unfair and it's not right. And it could be for a larger purpose of creating a national uh, police department. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know the answer to that. But I do know that they're definitely going in the wrong direction. And if we don't pay attention, we're going to be screwed. And I think that's the simplest way of putting it. But you totally might be onto something, John. I don't know. Uh, Thank you. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, you bet. Good to talk to you, John. Love to hear from you in Vero Beach. Big shout out to WTTB. Uh, let's see. What do we got here? Let's go to. Do I have time for that? I've got. Yeah, I think we could do it. Let's go for it. Pat in Sedona, Arizona. KNFO in Aspen is how he's streaming. Uh, let's talk, Pat. What do you got on mind today? Uh, I'm going to be quick because I want somebody else to get on, too. Uh you know, you were just talking about that gold heist in Canada, right? Yeah. I can tell you what, I'm, I may be crazy, but I <laughs> saw a TV show. It was called Blacklist. And oh, I've seen on, that show. I think it's still going. Yeah. There was an episode where they robbed gold off an airplane. Now, I can't remember all the statistics, see if it was in maybe Canada or they did it in New York City. 
but they stole a lot of gold, and it was a gold heist. And I'm going, you can't write this. I mean, <laughs> this is true. And I'm not, and I'm, I'm nuts, which I could be very much nuts. <laughs> you mean both? Holes in my head, but I'll tell you, it, it it's crazy. I I I saw a program about that, and it's weird because that seems like a a, a great story for a a miniseries. You know, sure, These guys stole that gold, man. Yeah. $100 million worth of gold, right, off the airplane. I mean, it's just, it, it is a remarkable story. And you're right. Who knows how it was inspired? Uh, I, I personally, I who leaves $100 million worth of gold, you know, on an airplane or whatever? I would think that that's got to be in a safe. And, you know, if you're moving it, you should have a lot of security moving that thing. You know, I don't think it should go out of your sight. It's not like, you know, you're going to throw it in a bag in the back seat of your car, right? This is uh, $100 million worth of gold. It's a big deal. But this seems to be what, what's happened. So I, um, I'm curious to see how this thing pans out because who knows, right? Who really knows how this ultimately ends up? Um, what, do you, what do you think, Pat? Do you think that these guys are going to make off with it uh, or they stashed it somewhere? They're going to find it? How do you think this ends up? Well, if you put it this way, it's a lot of weight, so the guy have a lot of trucks because you don't want to make it obvious that the trucks are struggling to be carrying it on one vehicle. So they probably did a couple of vehicles, and I'm going to tell you something. I bet you donuts, dollars to donuts, it's an inside job because yeah. there has to be a lot of security or they wouldn't be using the same location every time. So they know everybody at that location. Everybody's been through a security check so there's somebody that's a rat that that did uh plan this for the organized because you say organized crime is probably a possible suspect well mm -hmm. you know these guys are smart in the bad way of course if they could yeah. use that intelligence for good my goodness what they could do but it's this that this is i i bet you it's an inside job I bet you Joe Biden no, obviously wouldn't. <laughs> Joe El Baboso Biden. Yeah, he's up to something. But no, I just, I just think it's, it's, it's just a, a prime time movie special. I mean, it's right. It, it, it reads like so a uh, fantastical, if you will. Okay, all right. Well, thank you for letting me chew on you with something that's kind of a little crazy. But uh, yeah, thanks. It was good to hear from McGill from Manila. I haven't oh, heard yeah. him in a while. Gil is terrific. So are you, Pat. You're a patriot. Thank you so much for your call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody in Arizona and everybody listening and your old uh, stomping grounds of Colorado as well. All right, we're going to get to the rest of your call straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Welcome back, America. It's Rich Valdez. I wanted to make a quick statement before we take um, uh, the last call of the night coming in from Zanesville, Ohio. But I, I just wanted to say, you know, every now and again, I tell people about my circle of friends. And I'm talking about my closest friends. And this is just something I'm going to share. Maybe we'll talk about it more on Monday. But 
I, I have the same friends I've had for like 35 years, like since I was in sixth grade, 12 years old or whatever. And I think, uh, you know, I forget that not everybody has that luxury or benefit. A lot of people think that it's odd. They're like, wow, you still have the same. I, I still have the same exact friends. They used to come to my house after school, you know, when we were 12, 13, 14 years old. And we, we have group texts all day and we send each other funny videos and jokes. And, you know, it's, it's, it's quite the, um, the display of immaturity, if you will. <laughs> uh, but I realize most people don't have, you know, grammar school friends that are still really close with them where they go to lunch and whatnot. I do. And I'm grateful for it. Anyway, I want to, I just wanted to put that out there because um, I do want to make that a topic maybe on Monday to see who else hangs out with their old school grammar school friends from the sixth grade. Let's go to Paul in Zanesville, Ohio. W-H-I-Z. Paul, go right ahead. Hey, good evening, Rips. Great hey, brother. lineup of shows this past week. Yeah. Thank you. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on the same wavelength as uh, Pat there in Sonoma. Um, you know, Paul, where... is there something you can do to make your phone sound a little clearer? Because you sound far away and I can't hear everything you're saying. Okay, I'm on my wife's phone tonight because I broke the line. Can you hear me? All right, well, just talk a little louder. Okay, well, um, this $100 million worth of gold, where would Mm -hmm. you sell that, Rich? That's my question. Well, I have the solution. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, for me... I'm thinking either somewhere on the black market, again, because it's gold. Maybe it's stamped and it's traceable, so you maybe have to melt it down. I don't know. But I think people like to trade in gold the way they like to trade in Bitcoin because it's kind of like, you know, it's like the currency of the streets, if you will. Uh, What would you do with it? Well, I I just, you know, I was just telling you, you know, I would call Hunter Biden and say, you know, you don't have a lot of money. Why don't you go ahead and um, do that for me? You know, you can get rid of it. You know, I mean, these, these people, they are so crooked, and I hope people wake up to the fact that you better watch these Biden, this Biden family, and I hope the Republicans put it to them, you know, come uh, uh, here too the next year or so. I love it. Yeah. Let's ask Hunter Biden what we could do with this gold. <laughs> this guy's great at washing money. That That's terrific, Paul. That was probably one of the funniest ones I've heard in a few days. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for that, man. My best to you and your family. Thank you for the call. Big shout out to everybody listening in Ohio on WHIZ. And I, I want to remind you, because uh, Paul paid a very generous compliment to the program, saying that we had a great lineup of guests this whole week. And I have to agree with that. I think we were very eclectic and we had a lot of really interesting people. When I started learning how to do radio, they told me, listen, you, you got to leave them with something they learned. They got to learn a thing or two. And when when you have guests that can teach people something, whatever the topic is, it doesn't have to be politics or even the news of the day, but just something that's relevant to, I think, people's lives, germane to the overall conversation that we're having as humanity, uh, like allergies, which is, you know, I've been suffering of those for uh, probably 15 days now. Um, I think it's important. And I'm glad Paul said that. And if you've missed any portion of those interviews, go to Rich Valdez, America at night.com. That's Valdez with an S Rich Valdez, America at night.com. And you can check out the podcast. You could stream it right from the website. You could sign up for the podcast. You could do whatever you need to do to listen live or share it with your friends. And I hope you will. Anyway, take care. Good night. God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, we're going to do it all over again on Monday. But until then, stay tuned to this station. There's a lot of good radio following me. Don't go anywhere. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. 
together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.